0: Pastor Mel shares the word. Awesome, thank you so much, Pastor Adele. It's so good to have the Robinsons back in the house after two weeks' holidays. Welcome back, Robos. Uh, it's good to have you. Welcome to our online viewers and uh, and Joyce as well. She's a Robbo. <laughs> um, how is everyone? Are we good? Yes. So we're journeying through the Book of Genesis. Who's excited? In the beginning and so we're doing four weeks and uh, so myself and Pastor Jacob are tag teaming actually and uh, but first of all just to kick off we're going to watch a short clip and it's going to give us an overview of chapters 1 to 11 and then in two weeks time we'll uh, watch an overview of chapters 12 to 50 because there's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis so if you turn your eyes to the screen that'll be awesome.
1: The book of Genesis It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible. And God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential to care for it and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter three, a a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the human sees autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are now. They can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God, and then when God finds them, they start this game of blame-shifting about who rebelled first. Now right here, the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head. Which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake, too, will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled, and what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the humans' decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about.
0: Well, there you have it. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, Father God. We thank you that your word does not return void, Lord God. We pray that your word go forth this morning, Father, and uh, we just pray that it land on good soil, Lord God. We ask for a harvest, Lord, of 60, 30, 60, 100 fold, Father. We commit your word to you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I find in life that no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstance we face, no matter... You know, if we're dealing with marriage issues, workplace issues, whether we're dealing with addiction, whatever they, that may look like in your life, if you're dealing with, um, you're, you're, you're dealing with a certain issue that you just don't know what the answer is. You just you're coming up against something, and you just don't know uh, what the next step is. No matter what in life we go through, and we all go through stuff, right? Who hasn't ever been through anything, hey? If you're human, sitting in the room, we all face certain circumstances, don't we? If you're seeking healing and you're desperate for healing. But I find that no matter what, it always comes back to in the beginning. In the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters in the beginning God in the beginning God that has to be our starting point doesn't it regardless of anything it has to be our starting point and that's how the Bible starts in the beginning God No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you face, no matter what you're coming up against in life, that wayward child, that addiction, that whatever it may be, workplace issues, we have to go back to in the beginning. It says here, his spirit was hovering over the waters. He was already there. He's always been here. His spirit was hovering over the waters. He was, he is, and he's yet to come. He was, he is, and he's yet to come. The Bible says in Revelation chapter one, verse eight, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the almighty one. He's been there from the start and he's gonna be there at the end. How awesome is that? That's good news this morning. He isn't a God who made us and left us to our own devices. You know, that's what deists believe. Deism, it's a, it's a uh, this is what they believe. They believe that, that God created the heavens and the earth. They believe that God created mankind just as we do, but that's where the similarities end. Deists believe that our God, though, is not an interactive God. They don't believe he's a personal God. They don't believe he, he interacts with us. You know, Albert Einstein, the world's most famous scientist, was a deist. He believed in God, He believed in the God of creation. He believed uh, that God set things in motion, that he created the universe and set things in motion, that that he put things into place. You know, he put natural laws into place so that the universe could operate by itself. But that's where God's work ended. And that's what they believe, that humanity is on its own left to our own devices they believe that this God does not enter into a personal relationship with us but nothing could be further from the truth we know that right as believers nothing could be further from the truth because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth he created light and darkness he created the sky he created the land and the sea he created the birds the fish and the animals he created the fruits and the trees he created night and day and then he created mankind he created you and me and we read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So it says here, if we just backtrack, it says, let us make mankind. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. The question is, is who is us? It doesn't say me or my. It says our, us. And what we see here is God the creator speaking about the trinity. He's talking about the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit are in relationship with one another. There's a mutual love, there's a connection. They're in relationship, they are one. And so we find that out of that relationship, out of that overflow, God created us. So we were created out of relationship, for relationship. And so it makes no sense that this God of relationship would create us and then leave us to our own devices. It makes no sense that this God of relationship isn't interested in the details of our lives. He's interested in every detail. You might think that he's not because he's this big God that created the universe. Oh, what would he care? But he's interested in every single detail of your life. You know, sometimes you think you're going through stuff and you think it's too silly to talk about with someone. You know, you think, oh, I should be done with this by now. But God is not like that. He's interested in every single detail of your life. You know, it makes no sense that this God of, of, of relationship would create us and then not interact with us. It makes no sense as all these scientists, these famous, you know, Albert Einstein, I I respect him, but it makes no sense that this God of relationship who created us out of relationship to not be in relationship with us. He didn't create a closed uh, universe. He created where God could come in and interact in and through time. That's our God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the God of relationship creating us out of relationship for relationship. This God of the universe who did set things in motion, who is ordered and rational, yes, all those things are true. All those things are true, but he is also a God who cares. He's a God who cares and he's a God who loves. God is love and he can't help but love. We've heard that as a common theme this morning. He can't help but love god is a god of relationship and so whatever we're going through whatever circumstance we face whatever issue we're coming up against we have to go back to in the beginning in the beginning god he has to be first and foremost and so the question is is what is god saying where is god leading and what does god want You know, as born-again believers, we're not in charge of our own lives without any accountability and without any submission. There has to be accountability and there has to be submission. We don't don't just get to do what we want, when we want and how we want. That might sound nice, but it's not really a life that we want to live. And I know the words accountability and submission might kind of do things inside of you, but that's what we're called to, so that we can live our best life possible. It's so key. Yes, we have authority. We have authority, but it's in God. It has to be in God. We can't walk around in our own authority without accountability and without submission. A God who interacts with us is a God. He guides us. He leads us. And he speaks to us personally. How awesome is that? He speaks to us, you personally. And so, you know, whenever I ask a certain person if I'm facing an issue or a circumstance or I'm just losing the plot and, uh, and I go to this person and I say to them, what shall I do? I don't know what to do. What do, you, what do you think? He always says to me, what is God saying? What is God saying? And I always think that's such a good question or answer what is God saying? A lot of the time we act like deists, we think we have to figure it out all by ourselves, that God has left us to our own devices and we've got to figure out this issue because it's all on us. We don't even stop for a second to ask God, to seek God, to see what is God saying? What is God saying and we make decisions based on our flesh and based on emotions and based on what time of the night it is you know some of us just need to go to bed (laughs) we shouldn't be making decisions at 9 10 o'clock at 11 o'clock at night we're tired we just need to go to bed or before Christmas what about that one when you're so busy you've had the hardest year the busiest year ever and you make this big massive decision just before Christmas No, just let's do Christmas, let's chill and have some summer holidays and then we can make some decisions after that. We need to think about some of the decisions we're making based on our flesh and our emotions. You know, I'm coming up for holidays in a few weeks, I need to know that in my head. So right now I need to just be very careful with the decisions that I'm making. We need to be smart like that because sometimes you're just tired. You just need a holiday, you need a couple of days off, you just need to rest. We don't need to make some crazy decisions, amen? amen. And so what we do, we go off and we execute these amazing plans that we've made <laughs> and we think we've got it all figured out and the problem solved and we know what our next steps are, but the question all along is what is God saying? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God and when we don't put God first and when we don't take the time to see what he's saying and do what he's saying we can hear what he's saying but we also have to do do what he's saying it's like yeah I heard but I'm actually going to do the opposite (laughs) you know what happens we usually create more of a mess we usually create more of a mess for ourselves and we don't see it initially because we think we've got this we think we're so smart. We make decisions based on the fact that we're so smart and so clever. And you know what? Some of us are. But not as smart as God. <laughs> not as smart as God. And, 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 and our decisions and, and it starts, it begins to be exposed. We think we've got it and now it's being exposed. And we don't always see it initially. But slowly but surely, we start to see the mess that we've created for ourselves and now we've added more issues on top of our original issue when we should have just been like what was God saying in the beginning God and Adam and Eve found this out the hard way and we meet Adam and Eve in chapter 2 of Genesis and we love Adam and Eve don't we but we still shake our heads and say why 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 did you eat from the fruit of the tree that God told you not to eat from? Why? And we find out in Genesis chapter three that the serpent in the garden challenged what God was saying. Challenged what God was saying. He said, verse one, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And in verse three, Eve responded by saying, But God did say, We must not eat the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So Adam and Eve were pretty clear on what God had said. There was no two ways about it. Even Eve responded to the certain, But God did say. Yes, that's what he did say. He said that. He definitely (laughs) said that. He said it. God did say. They knew what God was saying, yet they chose the opposite. They chose, the, they chose disobedience instead of obedience. Wow. And you have to ask why. They had the perfect setup. And we find out that the serpent said to Eve in verse five, "For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and eat from evil, knowing good and evil." For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve wanted to be like God. And the clip pointed out as well that we just watched, the irony of it was that she was already like God because she was made in his image. But to be fair to Eve, we all want to be like God. It's not a bad goal to have. It's, it's, it's actually quite a good motive to have, to want to be like God. We should all want to be like God. But Satan tricked Eve into going about it the wrong way. He encouraged her to defy God's authority by taking God's place and deciding what was best for her own life. Moving out of submission and accountability and in essence becoming her own God. You see, there's a difference between wanting to become like God and becoming your own God. There's a difference. And that's where the devil himself, if you think about it, got it wrong. You know, he's thrown out of heaven. Why? Because he wanted to be God. His pride, he became so prideful. He was thrown out of heaven for that very reason. And now he's tempting Eve with the exact same thing. Wanting to be the Lord of your own life is pride. Wanting to be your own God without any accountability and without any submission is pride because there's only one true God only one true God and so for us when we don't go back to what God is saying and then act on it doing it God's way being fully submitted to him being fully accountable to him we too are defying God's authority we're defying God's authority we're taking God's place and deciding what is best for our own lives and in essence we're becoming our own gods and so really we're no different to Adam and Eve when we say why Why did you eat the fruit when God told you not to? We do the same thing. And we either don't bother to stop and ask God what is God saying or we do know what God is saying and we decide it's too hard. I just can't do that. I don't know about that, God. (laughs) That's just a stretch too far. I think... We'll just go with my plan. <laughs> it seems easier. What did Eve say? It looked pleasing to the eye. This, this plan here looks pleasing to the eye. It seems like just a slam dunk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my way. We're moving out of accountability. We're moving out of submission to God and in essence taking charge of our own lives. And we move into chapter four. My time's up already, is it? (laughs) We move into chapter four and we meet Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. And we see Cain, one of the brothers, was struggling to submit to God. That's what we're seeing here. Cain is struggling to submit to God. So they both brought an offering to God. Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God and God accepted uh, Abel's, but he didn't accept Cain's. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why. But instead of Cain just going off and making it right and doing the right thing, the Bible says that he got very angry and he became downcast. How many times do we go off and do our own things and then we get very angry <laughs> at God and very downcast and all sulky and depressed and, well, I'm just not going to do anything anymore And so Cain had an opportunity to go make it right, and he chose not to. And in Genesis 4, 6, it says, "Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And this is where we have the power to rule over sin. The Bible says we're all tempted with sin. Every single person is tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. Every single person is tempted. But the Bible also says that God will provide, the Bible says that God will provide a way of escape. It says that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. It's common. You're not a a bad person because you're tempted. It's what you do with it. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He provides a way out. Do you know what our job is, our responsibility is to look for that way out that's that's our responsibility where is the way out here I'm being tempted there's a way out because God's Bible says that the word says that where is it that's our responsibility when God said to Cain that he must rule over the sin that was crouching at his door that's when Cain had an opportunity to listen to repent But instead, he chose to go out into the field and kill his brother. That's what he did instead. Is that funny? (laughs) He had a chance, he had an opportunity. It was right there before him. God was encouraging him not to go ahead and do what he was planning to do. And we all have choices, and we can either give in or we can rise above. We can give in or we can rise above. And God is a gracious God, and we see this as we read through the book of Genesis. We see it through the book of Genesis, how gracious He is. He just keeps stepping in every single time. Just watching that clip, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? About really what humanity is, and how many times we've blown it. But what's also so obvious is how many times God keeps stepping in, how gracious He is. He just keeps coming up with a new new plan, new plan, new plan, new plan. As sin and rebellion entered the world and kept being repeated by humanity, God never gave up on them because there's always hope. And even with Cain, when he, he uh, banished him to be a, a, a wanderer on the earth, and, um, and even with that, he said, but I'm going to put a mark on you so that no one can kill you. If anyone kills you, they're going to suffer vengeance seven times over. And so even in that, even in his dealings with Cain, he was still gracious. He didn't have to do that. He was still gracious. He's ever so gracious. God still protected Cain. And so this morning, God wants you to know that he never gives up on you, that he never gives up on you. Even when you blow it, he still loves you. He's still in relationship with you. He still keeps stepping in. New plan, new plan, new plan. Gone off track, new plan. Stepping in, gracious, new plan. I'm amazed by this. The thing is, is if you want to cut back the years, <laughs> if you want to stop going around the same mountain, because life is short, isn't it? You know, we can, God can keep stepping in, keep being gracious, keep, keep giving us a new plan to get us where he wants us to go. But we're wasting years when we choose not to do it his way the first time. Amen. And so the trick is, it's not really a trick. It's just, I don't know, it's just the word of God is just to be obedient the first time. First time obedience, that's what we say to our kids. First time obedience. You know, the Bible says our life is like a vapour. It's just like it's there and then it disappears. So why would we want to keep wasting our years? Why? We want to just be obedient to what God's asking us to do. He will keep giving us a new plan, new plan, new plan. But the best thing to do is to go back to in the beginning, God. What is God saying? Where is God leading? What does God want? You know, I was listening to um, Jacob's podcast. You know, he has a podcast. It's called Breaking the Mold. It's pretty good. And he was interviewing our state president, Pastor Joel Shalaya, and uh, he was saying that if you if he was saying if you say no when you should be saying yes, you will regret it for the rest of your life. And what I got out of that is just keep, just start saying yes, yes, God, yes, yes, yes. You know, I spent ten years saying no to public speaking, no, 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 no. And yeah, God, obviously, I'm here now. He just kept putting in a new plan. He kept being gracious. He was ever so gracious. But I wasted 10 years, you know, and I have to own that. I have to own it. Is what it is, that's okay. I'm not walking in condemnation, nothing like that. But still, I wasted 10 years. I was saying no when I should have been saying yes. And the question is, is what should you be saying yes to when you're saying No. What is God saying? Where is God leading? What does God want? Amen? Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning, Father God. We thank you for this service. It's been such a beautiful service from the worship to the communion and just to the hearts of your people, Father God. And we thank you that you're speaking to us, Lord God. We thank you uh, right now for every single person sitting here, Lord God, whatever their yes is to you, Lord God, that it be yes. That they come back to, in the beginning, God. What is God saying? Where is God leading? What does God want? And I pray that you'd speak to hearts right now, Father God. That you'd move in people's lives, Lord. And I pray that we would be a church that says yes. That we wouldn't hold back. That we wouldn't be saying no as a church when we should be saying yes. That we don't waste years as a church together corporately. That we would be people of yeses. Yes, God. We thank you that you love us and we thank you just through looking at the book of Genesis. We see how you just keep stepping in, coming up with new plans. And we're excited for as we continue on this journey to see, to continue to see your plan, Father God. Have your way in our lives, Lord just why our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And if you're listening online, I just want to give anyone an opportunity. If you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, now's your opportunity. Or if you have in the past and you've walked away and today you want to come back to Him, today's your day. It's the best decision I've ever made and it's the first yes you have to do (laughs) to start on the journey. And so if that's you we can pray a prayer right now. If you're listening online, if you stick your hand up in the air and say, yes, I want to do that. I want to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. I don't want to be my own God anymore. I choose to put Jesus on the throne of my life. If you follow after me, church, God, I thank you that you sent your son. To die on a cross for me. I ask that you forgive me, wash me clean, and today I choose to live for you. And all God's people said, Amen. Fantastic. Shall we have, shall we worship? Does that sound alright? Let's worship. Stand to your feet.